Without further introduction, let us welcome John Hodge. Thank you. I always enjoy coming to your congregation, and I am appreciative of your worship committee for inviting me. I um, would like to believe that you invite me as a frequent pulpit guest because you like what I have to say, but to be honest with you, I think that you invite me because I've learned the art of a 20-minute sermon. (laughs) Can I get an amen on that? As you know from um, being a guest in this pulpit on other occasions, I am a member of First Baptist Church in Shreveport, and I teach an adult Sunday school class. You've heard me talk about my Sunday school class before, but this is the first time I've actually brought someone with me from my class, and so her name is Penny Page. Penny, can you just stand so people can acknowledge you? This Unitarian congregation must be the only Unitarian congregation in America that has had two Baptist speakers consecutively um, on consecutive days. It's my understanding that uh, Reverend Mac McCarter spoke um, at Susie Bell's uh, memorial service yesterday, and now you have me. You're stuck with me. I want to begin our sermon this morning uh, by making an observation. Just look around. You're a rather diverse group, are you not? Um, We have economic diversity present here in this congregation. We have marital diversity. We have relationship diversity. There are gay people. There are straight people. There are Democrats. There are Republicans and perhaps even, dare may I say, libertarians in this congregation, maybe some green parties. Some of you would describe yourself as a believer. Some of you would not attach that label to yourself. Some of you believe in an afterlife. Some of you would say, that's nonsense. There is no afterlife. Some of you believe in a heaven and a hell. Some of you believe, no, we're universalist, and we're all God's children, and God would never reject us. Some accept the deity of Christ. Others in this room would reject that principle. Some of you would describe yourself as a Christian, and others of you in this room would say, you know, Christian is just not a label that I want to call myself. Well, Regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, for purposes of today's service for the next 20 minutes, I want you to assume that you are a Christian. Now, at this point, I can just imagine some guy leaning over to his wife saying, if I wanted to pretend to be a Christian, I could have stopped at one of the many Baptist churches along the way here. Or perhaps some lady is saying, oh my God, I've spent years in therapy trying to get over my Christianity and now he wants me to pretend to be a Christian. And of course the gays and lesbians in the room are saying, oh my gosh, I'm in a room full of people who are pretending to be Christian in a church. That can't be safe. 
And, of course, the members of your worship committee are now saying, perhaps we ought not to invite Hodge back here if he wants us all to be Christians. Now, the term Christian means different things to different people, but for purposes of today's service, I want you to use the definition that I am familiar with, um, and that is um, a definition that any Baptist could give you. If you broke into their house in the middle of the night and slapped them around and said, what is the definition of a Christian? They would say, without thinking, someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, I want you to also assume that you're the type of Christian that believes that they have direct access to God. You're not the type of Christian that believes you have to go to a priest and confess your sins and you talk to the priest and the priest will talk to God. You believe that you have direct access to God and that you speak to God daily. Now, I will not ask you to assume that God speaks back to you because not even I believe that. Um, And I have a question for you. You're all Christians now for the next 20 minutes. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And you say, well, maybe that depends on the situation, John. Well, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in a couple of situations. And we're going to talk about pursuit of liberty. But first the question is, what would Jesus do? Put yourself in this situation. Eighth grade physical education class, there comes upon that dreaded course that every eighth grader dreads taking. That's right, dance. <laughs> the, the instructor has everybody there in the gym for PE class and says, okay, all the boys line up on this side, all the girls line up on this side, and await further instructions. Well, the instructions are this. You pair up with someone from the opposite sex and dance. One little boy watches this, and he's not a particularly good dancer and does not want to dance, and he sees the matchup occur, boy, girl, boy, girl. And he realizes soon that the good girls, the really attractive girls, are all going before his very eyes. And what is left? He sees in a distance this girl that is not very popular. In fact, she's a very large girl, an extremely large girl. She is not popular because of her size. People make fun of her because of her size. And he thinks to himself, what would Jesus do in this situation? And this little boy, who is afraid to dance, walks over to this very unpopular girl and says, shall we dance? What would Jesus do? In that situation, describing interpersonal relationships, I think the kid got it right. I think that's exactly what Jesus would have done in that case because the Bible teaches me that Jesus showed love and compassion and accepted people and embraced people that were socially unacceptable. But outside of a situation involving interpersonal relationships, it's unclear whether we can ever answer the question, what would Jesus do? So I ask you, On the moral issues of our day, what 
would Jesus do? Spend a moment thinking about that. What would Jesus say about a law permitting a woman to terminate her pregnancy? What would Jesus say about a law permitting the use of contraceptives, both between married people and between unmarried people? What would Jesus think about a law permitting the distribution of condoms to teenagers? What would Jesus think about the teaching of sex education? And I'm not talking about abstinence-only education. I'm talking about birds and the bees. What would Jesus think about that? What would Jesus think about a law permitting a divorce? What would Jesus think about a law permitting same-sex marriage? What would Jesus think about public funding of stem cell research or public funding of faith-based organizations that provide social services? What would Jesus think about permitting gays and lesbians to lawfully serve in the military? What would Jesus think about having a military? What would Jesus think about a law permitting the sale of alcohol or the sale of tobacco? or the sale of pornography, or permitting a strip club to be in downtown Shreveport? What would Jesus think about permitting casinos to operate whose sole purpose is to simply take money from those who can least afford it? Some Christians, particularly some radical Baptists, have no problem in saying exactly what Jesus would do in each one of those circumstances. Some find it very easy to decipher God's will, God's will not only for themselves, but for you as well. I have no problem when they decipher God's will for their own life. What I have a big problem with is when Christians, and Baptists in particular, and TV Baptist preachers in particular, declare that they know what God's will is for the rest of us. It's kind of a standing joke in my Sunday school class. I have struggled with this concept of trying to decipher God's will. How do we know when God's will, uh, how do we know what it is, and, and how do we know when we have it? And I always cite the example of a large Baptist church in Shreveport, it shall remain nameless for purposes of this discussion, but this large Baptist church, which is located on Uri Drive <laughs> in the Broadmoor subdivision, but which shall remain nameless, they wanted to expand their church several years ago and wanted to build a facility across Atlantic Avenue. And they thought that it would be safer for their church members as they're crossing the street to not have to worry about those pesky cars that go back and forth. So they asked the city council to close Atlantic Avenue. Now, I have no problem with a church requesting a governmental authority such as the city council to close a street. Here's what I have a problem with. Their pastor got up before the city council and said, it's God's will that Atlantic Avenue be closed. Imagine that, a street. God cares about whether a street is open or closed. This same city council uh, rejected 
that request and then went on to reject another request that came by this same nameless Baptist church in the Broadmoor subdivision. (laughs) That request came later that year to ask the city council to deny a permit for a strip club downtown. I guess this church was so concerned about family values, you know, where the casinos are located. (laughs) They were so afraid that the children would wander into the strip club that they wanted to save this city from those evils. The city council rejected both requests. Each time the church said, it's God's will to do this or it's God's will not to do this, each time the Shreveport City Council rejected that request. God didn't have such a good year that year in Shreveport, I guess. My own view is that God could care less about Atlantic Avenue and he could care less about the Deja Vu Club. But the pastor of this church in question asked the simple question, what would Jesus do? To him, it's a simple answer. The problem with many Christian conservatives is that they claim that God's truth is one, knowable, and two, that they know it, and three, that they are able to reduce it to legislative form. The popular question of what would Jesus do can be difficult enough to contemplate with respect to everyday interpersonal relationships, just as it was for that little boy in the dance situation. But asking what would Jesus do in the context of the complex world of politics and creating legislation is absolutely mind-boggling. For those who think they know the answer to what Jesus would do, I would like to remind them what the Bible says that Jesus actually did. He cared for the poor. He did not condemn the woman caught in adultery. He prayed alone, not in a public school. He commanded us to love our enemies. He preached peace, not war. He ate, drank, and lived with tax collectors and sinners, which were the low lives and outcast of his day. And he reserved his harshest condemnation for religious leaders who, from a place of privilege, imposed their legalism and literalism on the people they were responsible for leading. He told his disciples not to oppose the healing work of those outside the ranks of his followers. And again and again, he reminded us to care for the poor. That moral issue gets more airtime than any other in the Gospels. One verse in every nine verses in which our Lord spoke, he spoke about caring for the poor. If Christians concerned about how to respond to the grave global issues facing us all were to reread the Gospels for guidance, I think that we would find some pretty clear indications there about what Jesus would do and what he wouldn't do. One of the uh, bumper stickers that I saw recently, uh, it was in a lawyer's office in Monroe, and I said, I've got to get that bumper sticker, said, who would Jesus bomb? And 
I was afraid to actually put it on my car because I was afraid that some religious right nut would honk and say, yeah, we need to bomb them. In the context of politics and legislation, I don't think we have a clue what Jesus would do. My own view is that Jesus is neither Democrat nor Republican nor a member of the Green Party. And here's the radical part. I don't think Jesus is an American. (laughs) (laughs) I'm confident, however, that Jesus and God, and I am a subscriber to the doctrine of the Trinity, so I consider them one and the same, that they are the author of freedom. As Unitarians, one of your great forefathers is Thomas Jefferson. I'm not sure he called himself a Unitarian, but he did call himself a deist. And he wrote this, Almighty God hath created the mind free, and any attempts by the state to coerce faith by making it law tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness and are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion. You see, Thomas Jefferson believed that God operates in the conscience of each individual. Thomas Jefferson believed that the search for religious truth must be free for God to be worshipped in truth. Thomas Jefferson believed that all coercion does is cripple the free search for God. Thomas Jefferson believed, plainly stated, that God doesn't need the help of the state for there to be faith. There are people in this country, however, that don't believe what Thomas Jefferson believed. The religious right believes that that the United States is a Christian nation, but that flies in the face of what the authors of the Constitution actually believe. All coercion does is give you a disrespect for what I believe is an infinite God. Now, on other occasions that I've spoken to you, I've given you a litany of some of the major achievements of the religious rights here in this city and in the nation. And frankly, it was designed to scare the hell out of you. (laughs) But this morning, I'm presenting my topic in a different light. This morning, I want to call you to action. If I were a policymaker, I would want to implement an agenda to preserve our liberty. And I want to share with you what my agenda would be. Now, the topic of my, the title of my sermon was The Holy Pursuit of Liberty. And I don't want to infer or imply that this is the holy grail and that any departure from this is not holy or that even this agenda in and of itself is holy. I'm simply saying that this is a pursuit of liberty and these are my issues. You may have different issues, but I've narrowed it down to several. Number one, first on my agenda, would be no religious discrimination. Government-funded jobs must be open to all qualified applicants regardless of their opinion about religion. 
publicly supported programs should never require anyone to take part in religion. And if religious organizations use government funds to provide social services, they should not discriminate in hiring on religious grounds or deny services to people based about questions of faith. You may recall that this issue raised its ugly head in the context of the Salvation Army, a wonderful social service organization. The Salvation Army is a Christian organization. The Salvation Army wanted to take government money and administer a social program. Not so bad in and of itself, if they can keep the two separate. But here's what the, so the Salvation Army wanted to do. It wanted to continue to discriminate in its employment practices. They wanted your taxpayer money without any regulations about what to do with that money. So the first thing on my agenda would be to end religious discrimination. The second thing would involve end-of-life care, end-of-life care. These are among the most personal decisions we can make, and they are best made when they are made personally and by individuals and their families, not by politicians who seek to impose a religious agenda. Legislation that imposes one religious definition of life over other beliefs would be discriminatory and a violation of religious liberty. We need look no further than the Terry Schiavo case in which the Congress of the United States and the President of the United States said to the husband of this woman, we know what is best for your wife. Three on my list is reproductive health. All Americans must be free to make choices concerning their own health in keeping with their own personal beliefs. Creating laws that are grounded in religious belief conflicts with the idea of separation of church and state. De decisions about family planning and emergency contraceptives should be resolved privately based on purely personal beliefs. Now, individuals may look to their faith as they make these choices, but the government must never mandate that all Americans must follow the tenets of one religious viewpoint over another. Fourth on my list is simply democracy, not theocracy. The government should be absolutely neutral when it comes to my religion. I will seek guidance from my religious leaders concerning matters of faith, or I will consult the scriptures myself. I don't need the government telling me what authorities to consult. Fifth on my list, academic integrity. Public schools must provide our children with the best possible education without preferring one religious tradition over another. Public school curricula should be based upon sound science, not religious beliefs dressed up as science. Public tax money should never be used to support religious schools. For this, our state has made a contribution to this area of the law when it discouraged the teaching of evolution and encouraged the teaching of creationism, what is now referred to as intelligent design. Six on my list is sound science. Advancing the health and well-being of all Americans requires medical research and policy that is grounded in sound science. It is critical that our publicly backed scientific institutions and policies 
be guided by objectivity and facts, not faith. Seventh, respect for all families. Some religious leaders and politicians want to use the government to define marriage in a way that favors some religious traditions over others. George Bush's federal marriage amendment would discriminate against the growing number of religious groups that perform same-sex unions. Happy, healthy families deserve respect and should be free to live according to their own beliefs. You may recall that one of our United States senators ran on the platform of protecting traditional marriage. And I heard him with my own ears say that same-sex marriage was a threat to marriage everywhere. Well, let me tell you something about David Vitter's marriage. The only threat to David Vitter's marriage is David Vitter. Last on my list, but not least, is to worship or not. Our private choice to worship or not must be protected. Now remember I told you that for 20 minutes you had to pretend to be a Christian. Um, I asked you to do that for a reason. Because I asked you to believe that you speak directly to God. And if you believe that, that you're speaking directly to God, it doesn't take you long to think, I've got all the answers. I know what's right for my life, and I know what's right for your life. And you may not know what's right for your life, but trust me, I'm speaking to the big guy. You, you can see how that could get carried, you could get carried away with that and truly believe that. Be sincere and earnest in that. Well, I can tell you that there's nothing holy about the agenda that I just laid out. It's just my agenda that fits my concept of God. If I had to sum up my religious beliefs in just one sentence, it would be this profound statement that I learned as a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I believe Jesus is the author of freedom, I want to protect freedom. We, as a congregation, need to protect freedom. What can you do? We have a governor's race that is coming up. You need to register to vote, and you need to actually cast your vote. And before the election, you have an obligation, and I have this obligation, to inquire of the candidates where they stand on these issues. My sermon today was completely nonpartisan. I do not care whether you vote Republican or Democrat or Green or Libertarian. I am encouraging everyone to ask candidates where they stand. Frankly, I have not done that yet for this gubernatorial election. I have no idea where the candidates stand. I've seen a couple of commercials, but on the issues that I've laid out before you, I am clueless. And what I intend to do is to contact these organizations and find out exactly where they stand. Because if we don't do this, our freedom is at risk. There is work to be done. God isn't going to protect your freedom. It is up to you. We are utterly dependent upon each other for the liberties that we possess, and we must never, never let our guard down. Thank you very much.